Come on, man. And with the local DBC News, Ellen Kujay with the triumphant comeback. More But tonight, don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. I'm rocking my pants. We're back. I guess you can call it a comeback if you want, huh? Since it's the music we came back to. Just tell me what to do, LL. <laughs> there you go. You're not the boss of me, as young children might say. All right, uh, you're listening to Money Talks, and uh, when we last spoke, we were talking about uh, financial situations. Uh, if you've got a question for us, you can give us a call, 770-429-9166, and have your question answered on the air, or you can email us, drgeneensler.com. Here we go, KC. We've got a question from Ramon from Decatur. says, uh, I've owned Estee Lauder stock for about five years, and I've made an incredible profit. I tend to get nervous when a stock is near its all-time high, and it was within sense of it recently. Um, do you think this one is still worth holding? I want to sell, but uh, but is that nerves or really the true signs? I tell you what, I don't know that... Uh, that's the best methodology. Just because a stock is as at its all-time high, uh, it doesn't mean you're going to sell it there and and top pick the thing. You're, yeah, you're go, not. Go look at uh, some of these companies that are constantly at their 52-week high. Apple comes to right. mind. You know, if Amazon. You, absolutely. If you're dealing with a company that has uh, the potential for long-term growth, uh, you don't necessarily need to worry about. It's all-time high. Now, Estee Lauder, the symbol is EL. Uh, obviously, it's a company that makes skin care and makeup and fragrances and hair care. Casey, do you use any of their products? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Jennifer? I do. Oh, how about that? Yeah. Uh, I, I I don't much uh, besides the regular blush. I mean, you know, it's... Um, the the good thing about the company is its model. I mean, it doesn't have its own retail locations, but it does tend to have a space in many other department stores and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, I, I guess as as retail changes for changing tastes, you hear folks talk about millennials all the time and how they don't like to go shopping and malls are being pressured and, you know, all this stuff. You would think that uh, it could impact a, a business like Estee Lauder, but... I, I hate to go to the mall. I mean, right. I, I'm not a millennial. I don't know if y'all know that about me, but I'm not a millennial. Well, very close. You, I'm, I'm almost, really close. Like within no. six months of being a millennial? <laughs> I think I'm within six months of being a, a boomer, but... Oh, okay. um, I, I hate to go to the mall. I don't like to shop, but I order it online. Yeah, and, through the, and that through, is, a, through a department store. Right, and that is one of the good things about Estee Lauder is, uh, you know, you can you can uh, order all mm-hmm. of their products basically electronically. It's an online retailer basically. I didn't realize that they were the licensee for so many, uh, I guess, perfumes or fragrances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, sold under different brands: Tommy Hilfiger, Donna Karen, DKNY, you know, mm-hmm. Michael Kors. There's a, a list of about a dozen of them here. Right. Yep. Uh, right down to Glam Glow. Don't you use Glam Glow? Oh yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I thought you might. My favorite. Right. So here's what I look at: uh, analysts <clears throat> analysts believe that uh, the stock has Earnings growth power, 19.6% going forward in the next three to five years. Uh, over the past five years, the business has done a little less than half of that, 887. Uh, it does have a dividend, and uh, the yield's about 1%. It's well covered, 2.8 times. 
when I look at all of the details here, it's got a very good debt to equity uh, ratio. Uh, debt to assets about 30.9 percent. Uh, return on assets 13.6. It's a profitable business and it's growing okay. Um, you know the the analysts that follow it consider you know 21 uh, 21 of the 28 actually consider it a a buy. Uh, everything that I look at here um, honestly tells me that it uh, it could still have plenty of room to grow and I surely would not sell it just based on the fact that uh, that it's at its all-time high. Uh, to your point, um, Ramon, 147% in the past five years, a 19.88% annualized return. That is substantial. It's uh, it's up 58% just in the last 12 months alone. So, um, you know, you've picked a good one. Uh, don't know why you'd want to get out of it now. If you thought that the business model was flawed if you thought that people are going to, women mostly, are going to quit uh, using makeup uh, if there was some reason that there was a substitute product in the market. Yeah, sure. Why don't we talk about pairing back a little bit? But I don't see why you would right now. Is this right? The I'm looking at the beta here, 0.33. Is that? That's, I don't know that that's that exactly. Seems, no, when you got a company got, that's growing at 58% in the yeah, last 12 months and the market overall is up maybe 14% in that same period, I'd say, and 19.88%. Maybe, maybe that's substantial. 1.33. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would, uh, I would check the, check the details on that one for sure. Uh, a beta of one means that the stock has moved in price or does frequently move in price. About in step with the market. Yeah, yeah. In step with the market. So Market's up one percent. You would expect Estee Lauder's up one percent. Right. Uh, but when it's outperforming to that degree, I'm telling you, I don't think that's right. All right, so uh, let's uh, move on to another. We've got a question here from Chuck from Canton. says, uh, I read an opinion piece that says we're in a housing bubble, and uh, it, the writer believes that uh, it will cause more volatility in the next downturn. Uh, I didn't think we were in the same position as we were in 2008 or 9. Do we need to be worried that values will plummet again? Uh, I would agree with your assessment that uh, we are not necessarily in the situation we were in in 08 and 09. Uh, housing doesn't look that expensive to me. Uh, we had a substantial decline from a position in 2007 and 8, really starting in 06, uh, where housing got way ahead of itself. Prices were ridiculous. Uh, everybody was a was a home flipper. They'd buy them, try to fix them up, and sell them. Uh, you got in a situation where, you know, you you had uh, uh, the the inflation in housing instead of being at around three percent, three and a half percent per year, it got up to over fifteen percent per year from 2004, five, and six. And right. uh, that to me is a bubble. You look at it now. There was this huge identifiable bubble we had a crash and now we've normalized well look at the if you if you, anybody's been in the market for a home recently i mean you mentioned in the first segment troy there's very little inventory out there especially for new homes especially Absolutely. for new homes so if yeah. you're if you're going out there and shopping and you can't find anything i mean that's going to cause the prices to go up right right so that that seems to be a more normal f function of supply and demand right. rather than you know having artificially inflated prices that you have to go create demand <laughs> through you know 
interest rates or attractive loan options and things like that. Right. Now, I think there are certain areas where, um, you know, the housing is limited and you've and you've seen a lot of when the housing bubble happened um, and the prices dropped, you saw a lot of investors go in and purchase a lot of the properties, which are now rental properties. And so if you have a situation where we get into a recession and people start losing their jobs, then they may lose renters and you could have something happen in that case, right? you and know, that's it, negative, but it's still more of a supply and demand and not where, you know, it's not the same situation that we had. Right. Um, to your point, Jennifer, I did see a, a article this morning talking about how much more supply in, uh, in the rental market that we have mm-hmm. and uh, how it has actually muted the ability for those providers to, to uh, rise, raise interest rates. And, um, yeah, you know that is one of the things that we're seeing, but I really, really believe that we are not anywhere remotely close to the issue that we had um, back in uh, 2006 and seven and eight, where we had a lot more housing than we needed. Mm-hmm. You know, supply was was great, and demand actually right. fell out of the fell out of the uh, floor. So. Uh, the other thing is we're beyond, what, seven years now? Folks that bankrupted way back then are starting to get back in the market. So uh, you sh- could see in the next year or so an increase in demand for housing. So uh, something to look at. Uh, so we've got Brad from Marietta who asks, can I estimate my Social Security benefit? Uh, we're about 12 to 13 years from retirement and trying to look at all of our possible sources of income. And I suppose that Social Security is one of them. So what do you guys have for Brad? Well, yeah, Brad, you can definitely estimate your Social Security, um, and it's probably a good a good thing to do. They used to send out statements every year on your birthday. Well, yeah, they quit um, that. They quit doing that. They will do it once you turn 60. Once you turn 60, they'll start sending them again. Um, I, I believe they still send them. I think it's like every five every years. Five years. Yeah. Um, but they've they've cut that back. You can go online, uh, ssa.gov, and create an account, and actually they'll give you an estimated benefit amount. So you can get it anytime you want. If yes. You do that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you just create a login, and you can go in and check it whenever you want. If you don't want to do that, there's another tool that's pretty handy. It's a quick calculator. It just gives you a, a quick. Uh, uh, estimate of what it would be based on your birthday and your current level of earnings it will give you the ability to go in and plug in all of your earnings you know for the past 40 years i guess if you want to um uh to to really figure out what it is but why don't you just log in and they'll tell you what what it has been or what it would be you know based on their current assumptions so and i guess since we're on the subject uh, i mean is how much how much else do you guys look at when we're talking about trying to create a financial plan. I know we have this internal spreadsheet created, a a methodology, um, but a whole lot goes into a true financial plan. It wouldn't just be Social Security. No, you have all of your income sources, uh, both pre-retirement and post-retirement. And, you know, if there's excess, when you're you're pre-retirement, if you've got savings, you want to account for that. And then, um, so if you've got pension, if you have... Uh, retirement rental accounts, income, you know, rental any income. any type of income that you have coming in, uh, you know what we're looking for when you retire, or even even pre-retirement, is if you have any shortfalls. So you have what you have coming in the door, um, less what you're spending, 
and then do you have an excess or do you have a deficit? The deficit is what we would want to cover with the fixed income right. for a 10-year period of time. Right. Um, and, and that would be the assets that you've saved right. and, and just how you mm-hmm. allocate them. So you and then we bonds the, with them. Right? Mm-hmm. And we increase the spending with inflation. So you're looking at, you know, a lot of moving pieces. Yeah, I mean, and Social Security factors in, and then you got to decide when you're going to take it, which is another decision. Um, and yeah, because var- it varies from it, decision to decision, right? It does. It does. I mean, and depending on when you actually retire and start having a need for money from your portfolio kind of dictates our opinion of when you should start taking Social Security. Um, you know, you can get – you obviously get more of a benefit the longer you wait, but there's no beneficiary for Social Security either, so – something happens to you and you pass away, get hit by a bus, uh, then you lose that benefit. Well, and if you need the money um, to be able to spend in retirement, if you're delaying it, then you have to pull more money from your portfolio out of growth than you would if you would just take the Social Security. Yeah, I think the break even between taking it at normal retirement age, which would be somewhere around 66 for most people could be a little bit between 66 and 67 um and taking it at the maximum age you could take it which would be 70 the break even is about 12 years so you'd have to live to about 82 uh to make it worthwhile to wait to 70 to to take it um and so you know the if you live longer than that you may uh, be better off to wait but to jennifer's point that means if you need the money from your portfolio, then you're going to have to allocate more conservatively, and you're probably not going to get the rate of return that you would have gotten um, had you not had to take out of your portfolio. So yeah, there's, there's some considerations that go into it. So Brad uh, says that they're 12 to 13 years from retirement. Is there a, a optimal age when you start thinking about these things? I would always say the sooner the better. but Yeah, no doubt the sooner the better, because if you think you can retire um, – you know, it, 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 the longer time you have to make some changes, either spending less or trying to earn more. or um, And spending less is the one that we can all control, or at least theoretically. In I theory, mean, yeah. It's not easier said than done. Yeah, emotions and, <clears throat> and uh, our, our own unwillingness to, I guess, put off spending uh, more money is, is what we have to fight through that, right? Yeah, I mean, and you could look at it spending less or saving more. I mean, it's the same thing, really, because if your income doesn't change. So sure, knowing how much you need to save is, I'm sure, a valuable tool no matter how old you are. Um, well, you would assume anything that you didn't spend, you were doing something with, and really, unless you need it in the next 10 years, our 10-year rule still applies, right? So, yeah, absolutely. You know, well, it's, it a, it's amazing market. when we run financial plans. People tend to usually fall on one side of the spectrum or the other. You rarely, well, I won't say rarely, but n- more than not, you pe- people don't tell you exactly what they spend. So they either inflate it, because they're trying to be conservative and they want to make sure that they could spend a little bit more. Right. And it shows that they're pulling money from their port or they need to pull money from their portfolio. And then over time you realize they're not really spending at that level. Yeah. Or on the other hand, they know that they're spending too much. So they tell you what they should be spending instead of what they, instead are. Of what they actually are spending. And it shows they don't need to pull money from their portfolio yet. They are. They are. Yeah. So, um, you know, there there is some an emotional part of this that 
also takes place where you kind of have to counsel people and explain to them, you know, you said that you, you said you had this much income. You said that you were spending, you know, saving this and spending this, but it's not adding up. Right. So yeah. the earlier you start planning for that kind of thing, you, maybe you can get your, your hands around it before you actually retire and the income goes away. Right. At the uh, very least, it's good to talk to somebody that, that uh, has dealt with all of the, the details of a financial plan before you get to the spot where it's really late in the mm-hmm. game, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So it, uh, you, can, you can look at their specific situation, which is really what we do. I mean, it's, there's, there's no rule of thumb. It's, it is predicated on how much you have been willing to save uh, and how little or much you've spent over time uh, as well as how much you've made as well, right? Right. Yeah, so. All right, well, we've got another question here. We'll have some time for Kathy and Wayne from Brookhaven say, uh, I have been interested in the medical use of CBD oil for some time now, and I saw that GW Pharmaceuticals has their drug in front of the FDA. Uh, GWPH is the stock ticker, uh, and it's been doing well over the past year. Uh, would this be a good pot stock to buy? So, you know, we get lots of questions about pot stocks these days. And to be honest with you, there are very few good pot stocks to buy. Quite often what you're finding is, uh, uh, you know, somebody will throw the name cannabis into the into the uh, mix of a, a company that might make um, laboratory equipment or whatever, and uh, the the big problem with any of this uh, these these cannabis stocks is that it's still not federally uh, legal and for for use. And what that does is it makes it very difficult for you to bank the money uh, that you generate from cannabis stocks. Right. Um, and then the other thing, as I said, you know, uh, you've got a company that makes beakers, sells beakers to lab companies, maybe 10% of their uh, business goes into, uh, you know, the revenue from uh, selling items to uh, uh, growers or something, and, and uh, they decided if they throw cannabis on the name, then uh, the stock goes up. And, hey, guess what? It actually it works, works yeah. because everybody's looking for these type of investments. Now, in this case, um, you've got a company who truly is looking to uh, – have the FDA approve one of their stocks. Uh, I will tell you that they have no earnings. Uh, their return on assets is negative 45%, and uh, their operating profit margin is negative 1,794%. KC, what do you think this thing is? Yeah, I don't, th- I don't think that meets our criteria. <laughs> no, it absolutely doesn't. It's what I would call a speculation. Uh, if the fundamentals don't match... Uh, it's very difficult for me to tell you to buy it. Uh, just know if you do this, now maybe they get approval, but uh, uh, it, it's hard to project just how much money they might make in the future when you've got no numbers to start with. So know that you're speculating. I recommend that you use a good investment, something else. You're listening to Money Talks. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. 
Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.